swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, thankfully it's over! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. We are downloaded in over 30 countries each week, according to PodTrack.com. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Toronto Blue Jays, winning the series two games to one. They are currently in fourth place in the AL East, three and a half games back from the New York Yankees. News out of Fenway, pitcher Ryan Weber has been optioned to Pawtucket to work on his command issues. Uh, right-hander Dylan Covey has been called up as the corresponding move. Renicki says another call-up will happen to Phil Weber's spot in the rotation on Wednesday, but offered no hints as to who that would be. News from around the league, Indians pitcher Zach Plesak has been sent home from the uh, team for violating team and league protocol after going out on the town in Chicago following Saturday's game against the White Sox. Yankee slugger Giancarlo Stanton has been placed on the 10-day IL due to a pulled hamstring. Ace center fielder Ramon Laureano was hit by a pitch today by uh, Astros rookie starter Umberto Castellanos. Upon arriving at first base, a verbal exchange with the Astros bench coach sparked a benches-clearing brawl. Heavy uh, suspensions are expected. The Cardinals-Pirates series has been canceled uh, for the start of this week. St. Louis outfielder Lane Thomas has tested positive for COVID-19. Manager Mike Schilt also revealed that multiple ER trips have happened with players in the organization. No overnight stays uh, did result from them, however, and 15 games have been postponed so far uh, by the Cardinals. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and I am joined tonight from Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, feeling pretty good, actually. It was a good game today, so, uh, you know, feeling much better than uh, I think the last time I was on came off an awful loss, so. Yeah, feeling pretty good. First series win of the year, so finally uh, we'll take that. Also joining us from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing well, but it was uh, you know it's funny you said that because I was like, yeah, it's our first one. It only took a quarter of the season. 
Yeah, you know, I kind of joked on Twitter. Uh, we had only lost two uh, series coming into this because we had tied the others. So I was trying right. to put a positive spin on it. And I also said Friday morning, I didn't say it on the show Thursday night, but Friday morning I said uh, on Twitter that I expected a sweep from the Red Sox this series. And uh came up a little short when the bullpen uh couldn't hold it in game two, but the bats certainly didn't do them any favors, you know, throughout the game. So um, with that, let's just head right into studs and duds, formerly known as heroes and zeros. Jason, I have put you in the leadoff spot tonight. So who was your stud for this Blue Jays series? I have a feeling I know who it's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of an obvious one, especially after today. Um, but I went with Mitch Moreland, uh, who was awesome this weekend. I mean, he was he was your best offensive player all weekend. He smacked out three home runs. He only had four hits, but three of them were homers. So that's obviously great. Drove in six, walked two, struck out two. Um, but yeah, he was he was clutch like all series. I mean, he was. It felt like he was the only guy hitting at times, uh, especially you know. <laughs> in uh, the early games, but today he was, he was just so clutch today. He, he was great. Um, you know, and this is a guy that I've said in the past, you know, why is he still here? You know, you should be giving more time to guys like Chavis and Dahlbeck at first base. Um, but there is a spot for a veteran guy like Mitch Moreland when the other veterans on your team, like JD Martinez, like Xander Bogarts, uh, even Benintendi, I sort of consider a veteran because he's been in the league for a while. When they're not hitting, you need a guy like Moreland who, you know, he's he's not long for this team. He's probably just, you know, playing out the string here. But he's he was there for you all weekend. He was providing offense, and especially today, he was basically the only one doing it, uh, apart from Rafi Devers. So you do need a guy like that, and he's well-respected in the locker room. He's obviously, he's... Very steady defensively. I know he made an error today. I felt like calling that an error was a little bit harsh. But he's just so steady. And, you know, if this team is going to fluctuate all year and we're going to have guys, you know, struggling like Ben and whatnot, you're going to need a guy like Moreland who's just reliable and steady. And, you know, he's not going to win any MVPs. He's not going to win a batting title. But he's going to be a valuable part of your team because he's going to stop it from completely melting down. And that's that's to me that's what he was this weekend. He was just Mister Reliable, and uh, that's that's what they needed. Charlie, yeah, I mean Mitch Moreland averaged a homer and two RBIs. He had three bombs and six ribbies. He hit four hundred for the series. I'm actually going to go one up on that and say that he wasn't just the stud for Jason, but he was the reason why they won this series. Um, if he doesn't have those clutch hits, one, we probably figure out a way to blow it in the tenth. Uh, in game three and in game one he hit the go-ahead two run home run which ended up giving us a 4-2 lead they ended up coming back with a run and then in the eighth inning uh verdugo hit another one um but i mean he's just there there's nothing you can say to take away his his clutch this year um he has done everything he possibly can to stay long term and he's been you know told you know you're not really a part of our big long-term future but we'll continue giving you one-year deals if you're down with that and he's been 
he's just said, okay, you know, this is year four of the Mitch Moreland project. And uh, when we first got him, we knew that he was going to be good for about 20 homers, 65, 70 RBIs. He wasn't going to hit for power or sorry, for average. We knew he was going to strike out a hundred times, but he was going to be a really good durable first baseman. Uh, without Mitch Moreland this weekend, you do not win one game. Period. I feel like we wouldn't have won at least three or four games throughout the whole season. We're currently at six wins, nine losses. And I just, I mean, he, he's been incredibly clutch and typically that does fade. Hopefully it doesn't. And as dumb as this might sound in today's game, Everybody was basically over before that first hit. Verdugo didn't get on base, and then Devers didn't, JD didn't, and then Moreland comes up today and hits a solo, and I was almost annoyed because I'm like, three of our best hitters are just, you know, just either struck out or, or didn't get on base, and, and we can't keep relying on Mitch Moreland, like, all these other guys have to step up. And then, you know, when the ninth inning comes and it's tied, you know, it was a major relief that Moreland hit the bomb because you knew nobody else was going to. And at this point, you're going to take a win no matter how you can get it. And <clears throat> he's just been, you know, like Jason said, extremely clutch. And we probably don't win World Series Game 4 in – in Los Angeles if it weren't for that late home run that he hit and just always seems to come through and every year he you know he he gets another one-year deal and I think quietly we're all hoping for something better than Moreland and you know we're all like okay well all right we're gonna have him back again you know hopefully hopefully he's productive and I mean, we're probably having a different conversation right now, you know, if it weren't for Moreland. We're probably having trade talks. Who's going to get shipped here in a few weeks? But Moreland's kept us in it. So um, definitely the best player for this series. You know you know what's funny about Mitch Moreland's home runs today? When I was watching him, I was like, damn, that's going to be a really crazy fly out at the wall. And it goes over the fence. And then the other one, the bottom half of the uh, the ninth inning, he cracks that to like deep left center field. I'm like, damn, eat that like a mile in the sky. Please hit it out, not up. And it still finds a way. It's like the Manny home run, the Manny Ramirez home run when he hit like a deep fly and it just kept on going up, 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 up. And eventually the center fielder looked up and it left the stadium. But it looked like it probably should have been a fly out. Both of those home runs did not look like they were home runs. They just looked like they were really deep, high fly balls. Well, they said He's got a lot of power. They said the the wind was was going out to center today, so that that probably helped. But the Red Sox oh, did have four hits today. Three out of the four were home runs. So <laughs> um, yeah, pretty wild, right? It's all or nothing, you know, with these baseballs. It seems like. But uh, go ahead, Charlie. Who was your hero for the series? Oh, I I flubbed it. I think that's the first time this season I've I've not said who was your stud for the series. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I, I I was gonna go with hero slash stud. So my my stud of this one was uh, your starting pitcher for Game Three, Nate Eovaldi. Uh, the only reason why we kept uh, Toronto to a reasonable number 
Um, he went six innings, gave up six hits, three runs all earned, no walks, and got 10 strikeouts. Two of those three runs were by way of the home run. And again, he comes in, he gives you your, your ace start. Two of those home runs, just the, the Biggio and Bichette bombs in the third and sixth, were two of the only three runs he allowed. Like, the guy has been showcasing why he's the your one right now. I mean, on on a pitching staff that has had little to no love this year because it's it's been all kinds of ugly. Uh, Nate Yovaldi is is the one non you know issue in the rotation. Now, my prayer is that he doesn't go down. You know, like you don't want the Giancarlo Stanton effect where you end up getting a really nice contract and then playing for about six minutes. Um, but he, he's my stud, man. He's That's his arguably his best performance of the year. Ten strikeouts, I'll take that every day. Jason? Yeah, it could not be understated how important this outing was for Nathan Avaldi. Um, this is coming off the heels of, you know, Erod basically being shut down for the rest of the season. Um, you're looking at a, you know, sort of a skeleton crew of, of a pitching staff here, particularly in the rotation. You're trying to find guys to plug in. You know, Zach Godley is getting starts, and there's a lot of TBDs on the schedule. You need Nathan Avaldi to go out there and perform like this, and he did. And I, I love that the fact that he was attacking the strike zone today. The you know, no walks, ten strikeouts. He's got the stuff to do that. You know, when he attacks the zone and he just goes in there and and throws heat, he can strike out ten guys. Now, yeah. He did give up two home, you know, three earned runs. Two of them are homers, but at least the home runs were solo shots. Nobody was on base, so it's not like he, you know, made problems worse. You know, if someone got on, he wasn't giving up bombs. And I kind of, I don't mind giving up two home runs against a team like Toronto. This team is going to hit a lot of home runs, you know, especially going forward. Biggio and Bichette are going to be hitting them out of the park for years to come. So. You know, it's not like he was giving up home runs to guys who were hitting ninth in the lineup that he shouldn't be. Um, he was great today. He was really good. This is exactly what the Red Sox need because, as Charlie said, he's your one now. He's your number one starter. And, you know, a lot of people didn't expect that. A lot of people uh, still, you know, no matter what he does, will never see him as a number one. But an outing like today goes a long way in showing that if when he's on, he can absolutely be you know, a, a top-tier pitcher in this league. Yeah, I mean, you guys nailed it. He's he's giving us a chance to win, which, you know, is the best we could hope. A lot of his pitches had movement on it, and, I mean, I mean, nobody was getting on base, so those were solo shots, you know, and he was lights out. I was actually surprised to see that his ERA actually did go over four today. Uh, you know, if he had he pitched another inning, it probably would have, uh, you know, stayed right around 385. But, but you're you're gonna like you said take a, a start like this from a guy like Evaldi. I don't think he's being overtaxed really. I mean, six innings that's good, and we'll get to the bullpen shortly, but. You know, they've been pitching really well, so six innings is, is really ideal for him. You know, it, it makes us not have to use up too many relievers, but it's not overtaxing him as well. So 
I don't really anticipate any issues from him, you know, going down the stretch this year. It's unlikely that we'll make the playoffs anyway, but but we're grinding away and and Evoldi's doing his job and I mean, here's another thing and and this is going to be a <laughs> This is going to be hanging over our heads for a few weeks, but is he on this team in September? Uh, I think he's definitely going to be one of the if, if you're shedding payroll because we're still I don't I don't know if they've really made that whole situation aware of, of our or the, the the cap situation or not the cap but the money situation that um, we're trying to stay under for for that luxury tax and whatnot. I don't know if that's been revealed or not, but. He's got to be one of the guys that you think of that's going to bolster up a team, either one of the New York teams, um, because Nate Evaldi's already spent time as a Yankee. Uh, could he go back there? Sure. Uh, he had a very good year in New York back in 2015, his first year after being with Miami. And then after that, he was never uh, super, super great uh, after that. His ERA ballooned up and then um, didn't play in 2017 because of an injury. 2018 he was still in um in tampa got traded to boston he spent a lot of time in the in the al east so he's already very well acquainted with one of the new york teams could i see him going back to the yankees uh yeah i can could i see him go to the you know possibly the dodgers even sure why not because we still don't know what's going to happen with with some of these teams worst case scenario you're just adding depth to your starting rotation you can never have enough starting pitching. He's uh, he's going to be a tough one to move only because of his contract. Um, now it depends. I mean, if he real if his game is a lot more like today, and he you know he starts piling on the strikeouts and he keeps that ERA under three five or something like that, then maybe a team is willing to take on the remaining two years at seventeen million per because they're so desperate for another pitcher. You know, on their way to a playoff run. Um, the, the contract is such a, it's such an albatross though. And, you know, you got to wonder if teams are less apt to want to just take on big money, you know, given sort of an uncertain future of, of the league and, and everything like that. So the contract will be tough. It'll make it tougher to move him. But if he continues to pitch like he did today and you get a really nice offer from a, a playoff team, you know, maybe the Dodgers are down a couple of pitchers and, and they want him, then I think you definitely you open up those conversations and you start to talk to them because uh, he, you know, he can really be a valuable trade ship if he keeps going like this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think seventeen a year is that bad. I mean, I think David Price and we, we had to eat some of that, but that contract was starting to look somewhat like a, a major albatross. I would say. I just think where Evaldi's deal is only two years, it's just short-term risk. So I, I think that would be kind of appetizing to some teams. Maybe the Red Sox eat five million of that the next couple of years to make him a twelve, you know, million dollar a year guy. So I'm not sure, but like I said, that will be hanging over our heads for the next few weeks until the the trade deadline you know, comes and, and passes, his next start is going to be most likely against the New York Yankees. It will definitely be against the New York Yankees. So that's going to be a very high-profile start. He's typically a Yankee killer. 
that might be attractive for some of the teams that are a shoe-in to make the playoffs. I'm just kind of looking at the standings right now. Um, I don't think Tampa would want him, you know, and I think if the Red Sox trade him, we're, we're not in the playoffs. So, uh, but, you know, we got him from Tampa, so I don't know if they would want to, you know, because of the Yankees matchup thing, maybe value him in the month of September. Um, that That's a potential landing spot. The Tigers are in second place in the AL Central right now, 8-5. and five. They should have plenty of payroll flexibility if they want to add a starter. Uh, the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros are currently sub-500, but... You know, so are the Mariners and the Angels. So a second place finish in the AL West will get them into the playoffs, regardless of how good their record is. So I don't know if the Rangers or the Astros would be potential landing spots uh, as well. And we know the Braves could could probably use another arm. Miami is seven and three right now. Not sure how motivated they are to make an acquisition. He, he's been there before under previous ownership. I mean, there's just so many landing spots. May, the Brewers could want him. The Rockies and the Padres, you know, there's tons of possible landing spots. If somebody wants him bad enough, I, I think it could potentially happen. And, I mean, what kind of a return would, would you expect to get? You know, maybe a top 15 to 20 prospect and a couple of lower-level guys. I mean, what's realistic here? That actually sounds pretty good, to be honest. Uh, just considering the money situation, if there wasn't as much money to play with, I'd say you might get something better. But uh, you never know because there are some teams that are willing to to part ways with top dollar, uh, top prospects. They're, you know, I I think of the Chicago Cubs the year they went all in to get a Roldis Chapman in Chicago. And they only had him for a couple months rental. They ended up winning the World Series. And they gave up Gliber Torres. The Yankees claimed that they groomed and he was like a farm system standout. Like, no, Yankees do not get credit for Gliber Torres. He was a Cubs player. Uh, Sorry, facts. Uh, There will be a team that will probably be desperate uh, to beef up on pitching, whether they want to use him as a long reliever, uh, because Lord knows he can do that after the World Series. Uh, if they want to use him as like a third, fourth starter, because if he goes to another team, he's not going to be their one or two. He may be their three or four. So he's not going to be facing other teams as like best guys in their rotation. So he might actually have a better uh, stroke of luck with it. On top of the fact that if you're you're facing the National League, you always get that extra bonus. I mean, yeah, we don't have the DH and whatnot, but I don't I don't know. Um, or they have the DH. I don't. I don't know if they're going to change that for the future, especially if uh, you know next year if they, if they dump that and the National League has pitchers hitting again, then he's going to have a little bit of an easier time going through the lineup. So, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a return of like a top twenty prospect, and then maybe one or two other lower level guys that a team isn't sure of and is willing to part with. I think that'd be great. And you know, you look at teams like. Colorado and Atlanta that have very good farm systems, very deep farm systems, they're probably more willing to part with guys like that because they they have such depth, such depth in their farm system. So those are the two teams I would go after and say, hey, you know, you you guys could use some extra pitching, and you've got a wealth of prospects. Let's let's hammer this out. 
Yeah, I, I probably should have put the uh, the Diamondbacks in there, but right now, I mean, we are still focused on winning. But I just kind of wanted to throw that out there now that we know have a somewhat of an idea of what teams will be competitive or not. But that Yankee start is going to be a high profile start, and some American League teams might be looking at that, thinking, "Geez, you know." We need pitching, and we might be facing the Yankees in, in the fall. So, yeah. And, uh, Charlie, you mentioned the uh, the Chapman, you know, World Series win with the Cubs. I, I just wonder if, like, longer-tenured guys like Tanaka and, and Gardner, for instance, might be annoyed. Like, what if Chapman wears that ring in the clubhouse, you know, and they haven't won a ring in forever? You know, and just be like, you know, remember that little vacation I took from the team and won a ring? You know, I don't know. He he still did it. I would be the guy to do that. Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. Yeah. That might be hopefully the the only ring he ever wins. But he's going to be. You know what, though? That should should fuel his motivation. You know, I saw a funny tweet and they're like, see, even Major League Baseball teams are social distancing. And it's the New York Yankees 2009 (laughs) trophy to now about how there's been 11 years since they've won one. I thought that was kind of funny. That was hilarious. Um, I've seen that. Meme. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of like, haha, you know, like just, just a little joke um, for social distancing and whatnot. But um, I'm actually curious to hear who you've got for your, your stud. Well, I was just going to rattle it right off. I'm going with Alex Verdugo, who was extremely sensational in the first game of the series, kind of quiet, after that in games two or three but but he did go deep twice uh and hit was it in the ninth inning uh we ended up we were way yeah he anyway yeah we were winning already by a run when he hit his second one the eighth inning because he hit one in the second and that and he went to the left field twice they were like um they look like the same distance they were both they both they both went to left field yeah, absolutely. And then and then finally the you know game saving catch that w- did happen oh, yeah. in the ninth inning. And you know that was hit by Travis Shaw had he not been able to reach back and he had to reach probably I don't know, a couple of feet over that wall to kind of reel it in and that would have tied the game had had he not come up with that. And who knows what would have happened with our uh, bullpen situation because Weber only went three innings and, and you know, we went to the, the pen all night long. So um, could have been a very different outcome if he did not reel that in. And th- that was a very endearing game for Verdugo. He did hit a home run in the Tampa series. In uh, you know, we won that final game, but I just, this was finally the coming out party that he kind of needed for Red Sox fans. And it was kind of unfortunate for him. You had a guy like Pete Abraham in the uh, post-game interviews kind of raining on his parade being like, you know, you're the replacement for Mookie Betts, right? And, and and Verdugo kind of jabbed him back and said, I ain't replacing anybody. You know, I'm here doing my thing. And I just, I, I like that he's kind of fighting back because he shouldn't 
have to be in Mookie's shadow. We kind of touched on that in the last show, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was, like I said, an endearing game for him, and, and hopefully we get many more just like it. Yeah, unfortunately, he's going to have to deal with the Mookie Betts comparison uh, probably for a while because Red Sox beat writers are still going to cry into their soup about that. So, unfortunately, the Pete Abrahams of the world and, you know, all these other beat guys who, you know, just couldn't stand to see Mookie Betts get traded. They're just they're going to jab at Verdugo all the time, even if he has a great game and if the Red Sox win, they're always going to bring it back to Mookie Betts. And it's it's kind of getting pathetic at this point because it's like i don't know like are you guys going to get over this anytime soon you've got a 23 year old stud who's playing his ass off out in right field made a great play you know to rob a home run hit two bombs um you know looks like he's turning into a really good complete player and all they can do is go well you know you replaced mookie Betts, right and it's like okay guys we get it we, we know we all you all love mookie but he's gone now and I'm happy that Verdugo is finding his stride. Um, I'm not sure if leadoff is going to work out for him. And granted, it's only two games, but you know he's the, the plate discipline that I was hoping for is not quite there yet. Um, but then again, I don't know what your other option is on this team because it certainly can't be Benny. Um, so we'll we'll see. We'll see if leadoff is is the future spot for him. But um, he's he looks like a really good complete player um you know few little things he's got to clean up but i love that he can hit to all fields and i love that he's he's young and he's developing and i just think he's going to get better and better the more playing time he gets Uh, you know i gave him a lot of crap i think at the beginning just with the injury and stuff and i really wanted the dodgers to throw in another puzzle piece i wanted gavin lux i wanted uh may i wanted something else because i just didn't see Verdugo as enough and I have to say that um, I have been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from him as of late because you know sometimes it takes uh, some players a little extra time to kind of get acquainted and whatnot Uh, this is somebody who before uh, the final game in Tampa had no RBIs no home runs and a pair of runs scored and in the last couple games that he's played he's already hit three bombs he scored four runs four rbis uh we haven't seen any stolen bases from him yet um but he's been able to raise the batting average and he's you know i give him props for saying yeah i'm not replacing anybody and whatnot because the fact of the matter is you're not replacing mookie Betts. you're just not going to do that so the fact that he had like a little bit of fire a little bit of spunk to just say, like, I'm not, yeah, you know, like, I'm, I'm here to play. Like, I'm not replacing anybody. I'm just being me. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, and, you know, with the power kind of starting to show up, I don't know if he's a leadoff guy either. Right now he's the de facto leadoff guy, like Jason said, because you just can't put Benny in that spot and – Looking down through the order, I, I don't know who you could do. I, I mean, maybe you could put Xander there, but he just he's just so good in the middle of the order. And I think ideally Verdugo would be a, a you know, five or six hole guy if, if the rest of the uh, lineup was squared away. So, um, you know, so 
we'll we'll just take what we can get wherever they put him and just kind of go forward from there. But I like the edge a little bit. It's similar to, you know, early Pedroia. And I think if the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry heats up, he's got the right personality to be, you know, a big part of that rivalry. And I think he's going to he's going to fit just fine in Boston. Do you, you know, Terry and, and Jason, I'm sorry, because I'm, I'm totally talking again. Alex Verdugo kind of reminds me of like the offensive Joe Kelly. And if we had both Verdugo and Joe Kelly, no, they're not going to be the best reliever and hitters on our team. But it reminds me of the Bash brothers from the D3 Mighty Ducks. I don't know why they just do. I just Verdugo is just not somebody I think I'd want to pick a fight with. Like I wouldn't want to pick a fight with me. I don't think Verdugo is a guy that I'd want to say, yeah, I'll, I'll go five rounds with him because you probably wouldn't last two. Like I just feel like we need to have this funky. It reminds me of like the 0407 Red Sox with the idiots or you know the pirate crew in the bullpen. There's just something about him that I feel like once he starts clicking, I would be shocked if we didn't see you know 20 plus bombs out of Verdugo. 70, 80 RBIs out of someone who could probably maybe hit out of the two hole, but probably going to be in like the six, seven slot. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that and Terry, you'll appreciate this comparison to me. He reminds me of like Shane Victorino in, in certain ways. Like he, he just has like an energy whenever he's out on the field and hopefully it continues to be a positive energy and he doesn't turn into like, you know, one of these fake tough guys that's, you know, a hothead on the field and causes more problems than he's worth. But so far he brings a, a passion and an energy that I think is kind of missing from this team, even though we do have talent, talented players like Bogarts and Devers. Um, they, they just, they don't bring that same spark and that's fine. It, that works for them. But I agree. I, I think you need a guy like Verdugo with that sort of fire, uh, it, you know, especially when it comes to the rivalry games and it comes to, the important series, you know, that that sort of personality can really lift a team. And I think he did sort of lift the team this weekend, you know, starting with what he did on Friday night. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, I, I hate to do this because I'm, I'm comparing him to Mookie, but Mookie was from a personality standpoint, you know, sort of vanilla. And he he wasn't out there thumping his chest, you know, because he was you know, a member of the Boston Red Sox. He was flashy on the field. He did his job and, and there was nothing wrong with his character. I mean, he, you know, he was a good sport and, and, and all of that, but, but he wasn't endearing and, and, you know, he, he just didn't have the edge that, that Verdugo has. So that's, I guess that's a nice contrast is what I'm, I'm getting at. And Mookie did nothing in the postseason, really. You know, his biggest postseason play was a was you know a lightning bolt throw in that Astro series to gun down uh, Tony Kemp, who was trying to leg out a double. And you know, he might have Mookie might have saved the game by doing that, but but he never showed up offensively. And if Verdugo has a couple of clutch key at bats he's instantly going to be you know a bigger postseason hero than than Mookie ever was in 
what, three postseasons here with the Red Sox. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mookie was, you know, he just sort of went at bat, did his thing. He's obviously he's a tremendous player, but I think that's why that lended credence to everyone who said that he acted like he didn't really want to be here in the end because he didn't show that same passion for playing for the Red Sox that a guy like Verdugo early on already kind of is. And, I mean, you know, we'll we'll see if it lasts, obviously, but so far I, I like what I see from the kid. He, he's got a lot of good energy coming about him. Yeah. And a few uh, or just a couple honorable mentions out of the bullpen. Uh, Josh Osich, that's a very weird name to say, you know, based on how it's spelled, but Osage came out of the pen twice, didn't give up a run uh, in either of uh, the two games he appeared in. And a guy I just, I can't help but be more and more impressed with, Austin Bryce. Also, two games out of the pen, he he pitched a, a complete inning in game one, got the three outs, didn't give up a run. Was asked to get four outs today. Also did not give up a run and got three strikeouts out of the four batters he faced. So quietly a guy that might be, you know, a, a regular seventh inning guy going forward if if this trend continues. Yeah, especially with that with that delivery against right-handers, he, he could be a real problem um, if he keeps that up. So yeah, I'm impressed with him too. It's tough to it's get not, a read on him, you know, with that delivery. Yeah, it was it was brutal too. Uh, when when Bryce started the season, it was you know he comes out, and you know you're gonna get at least one earned run. And since that like really kind of crappy Mets game, he's been lights out. I think that's four straight appearances or five now, and he hasn't allowed a run. He hasn't allowed a base hit even like the guy's just been he's been lights out so maybe this is bryce figuring it out like i don't know this is i mean if he can keep doing this and you have another two three relievers i mean i'll be eating all of the words that i had uh said over the last couple weeks because i've been the biggest negative nancy uh for a while but if he keeps doing this it's going to be kind of hard to uh hard to deny it so there were some Yankee fans that were jabbing me about the bullpen, and I said to them, don't sleep on this bullpen because it has the potential to be very good. And throughout this whole Toronto series, they only gave up a total of three runs in the whole series. Two of them were in game two. So um, I'm definitely you know, pleasantly surprised at what we're seeing. And we're only going to get better because this week we could see uh, Josh Taylor and maybe Darwin's and Hernandez by the end of it, if not early next week. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the moves are, you know, to to make room for them. But uh, getting into the duds uh, section, uh, Jason, who uh, who pissed you off the most? Yeah. Well, as he has kind of been all season, uh, J.D. Martinez is my dud because he – Pissed me off again this weekend. Um, he had a nice 0 for 11 weekend against the Blue Jays. Uh, left another couple of guys on base. Um, his average is down to 196. And I just, at this point, 
I don't know what's, you know, what the deal is with Martinez. And I know that Tony Maserati made some waves on Friday when he wrote an article basically asking if Martinez has given up on the Red Sox this year. Um, I don't think that's the case because I do think J.D. Martinez is competitive, but it sounds almost like he's given up on himself because all we keep hearing about is, well, he can't have the video and he can't look at his iPad. And, you know, he's a really methodical guy. That means a lot to him. And at this point, it's sort of like, okay, dude, you're not the only one who can't use the video. Like, nobody can. And your teammates, or at least some of them, uh, seem to be doing just fine. Mitch Moreland's doing fine. He can't use the video, but he's still belting out home runs. You've yet to hit a single one. And it's almost like he's just going, well, it's a shortened season. We don't have Mookie. I can't use my video, so eh, the hell with it. I'll just go out there and hit the ball as best I can, and, and that's going to be that. Um, I just he's, he's starting to give me vibes of like when it started to go downhill with Adrian Gonzalez here. And I know that that's a really unfair comparison because Martinez has done way more than Gonzalez ever did. But just the the body language and the demeanor of J.D. Martinez is starting to really bother me because it just seems like everything from him tweeting out the sad face emojis all offseason when the Mookie Betts talks were going on to him complaining about not having video. And now it's just like, I don't know. I, I almost ask questions like, do you want to be here, dude? Like, do you even want to be playing this year? Because it looks like you'd rather just be sitting at home until you can get your precious iPad back and until you get like a full season. It's I, I just don't like the vibes that are coming off from him. And when he's in the middle of your lineup, just producing nothing and it forces guys like Mitch Moreland, like Alex Verdugo, like Christian Vasquez to up their game because one of your best hitters just will not show up. I don't know. It's it's a really bad sign, and it's it's a really bad sign for him too, because it's lending credence to the to the idea that like, dude, you were nothing until the Astros scooped you up, or no, it was the Tigers that scooped you up. The Astros wanted nothing to do with you years ago, and then you just sort of exploded. Now all of a sudden you're going back down again. Like, I don't know. He's he just seems like a really moody hitter who needs everything to be going perfectly his way. And because it's not, he's set up to have one of the worst seasons of his career. And it's just not good enough. And he, he hasn't had a single run batted in since the opening game of the season as well. So, you know, his yep. stats continue to get uglier and uglier. Uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts? Yep, you... Well, you both have ripped words out of my mouth. Uh, I read the Maz <laughs> article, and it actually kind of made me wonder, you know, maybe he did because the, the precious iPad, like you mentioned, Jason, you know, maybe that is something that's affecting him to some degree. I, I don't want to compare him to Adrian Gonzalez, though. Uh, I, I, Adrian Gonzalez was here for a year and a half, and he didn't leave because he wanted to. He left because the Red Sox wanted to get rid of Josh Beckett and Carl Crawford. He could have had a decent year uh, a decent career in Boston. It would have changed things dramatically for who we would have gotten, you know, on the market and whatnot. But um, I, what I don't like about JD Martinez is similar to what uh, Terry just mentioned. We've not seen any major production. Yes. You get extra base hits. You've scored one run this month. You've scored three since the season started. I think like you, you've just, you're not doing your job. 
Your job is to drive in runs to create opportunities. You're not doing it. You get $25 million a year. You have players that are getting paid a fraction, and that's to be generous, a fraction of what you are getting paid, a couple hundred thousand dollars that are doing more work than you. You should be embarrassed to be putting on a Red Sox uniform when you are putting out that kind of production. I, I don't blame you for having him as a dud. I mean, there's only one player in that lineup that has done more poor work than him. I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head. You know, like Jason said, 0 for 11 on the series. And, and it's unfortunate because in the series before, he had three doubles and was starting to show some <clears throat> life. And this wasn't a Toronto pitching staff that was going to intimidate us. You know, I'm almost embarrassed we didn't get Shoemaker out of the game much earlier than we did today. And, you know, a lot of these guys were just off balance. But but it should have been a, a good series for Martinez to kind of continue that momentum from the previous series. And he didn't do it. And another thing with the video that, you know, got taken away from him, as we've been saying, that's only good for... What, one at-bat, really? Because you figure he's going to take his first at-bat and then and then go analyze it. And then the pitcher, the starting pitcher, is only going to be in there for maybe one more at-bat, two at the most. And then it's going to be the bullpen guy. So I'm not sure how viable the, you know, the video replay room really was, you know, because the, the game just moves too fast and you only have so many at-bats anyway against the starting pitcher after your first one. So it's it's a bad season for him, and <laughs> he's destroying his trade value. And you know a guy like J.D. is – he wouldn't mind at all going to a competitive team for the last month of the season and then trying to have some postseason heroics again to – to leverage a bigger contract in the offseason. Yeah, and if that were to happen, if somehow the Red Sox did end up trading him in this shortened season and he goes to, you know, whether it's a National League team or somewhere else that's a playoff team and he all of a sudden starts to tear it up and he starts to hit better again, then Maz would be right. He did give up on the Red Sox. It wasn't the the video or the iPad or it was just, he got, he was pissed that Mookie got traded. He doesn't believe in this Red Sox team and he just kind of gave up. And that would be really sad if that were to happen. So uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens when that trade deadline does come up at the end of this month. But yeah, his trade value is plummeting uh, at bat by at bat. And that is not a good thing for a Red Sox team that could potentially have used him as a trade chip to help rebuild a little bit. Do you know who this reminds me of? Name another superstar the Red Sox had that quit on them and then got traded and then blew up again. I mean... Hmm. No takers? Not not Cespedes. Nope, I'm thinking 2009-2010. Manny? Okay, fine. Bingo. Yeah. 
Manny frickin' Ramirez just kind of gave up when he was in Boston. And then in, you know, when you look at his numbers, um, what he used to do when he was in Boston, this guy was a 40-plus home run guy. You know, he was going to be cracking 110, 120 RBIs. And then that one year uh, in 2010 uh, or 2000, I don't remember if it was 2010, 2009, it was one of those late years where he had done uh, the same amount of work in a Dodgers uniform in half the games. And his batting average was almost 100 points higher. I remember looking at it and watching it thinking, where, where was this all year? Where, where did this come from? Like, this was nowhere to be seen. And all of a sudden, now he cares about baseball again. I was infuriated. I was so over uh, Manny Wood. Um, but this is kind of what it, it reminds me of. Because if JD does that, I will forever boo him. I really want to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. I want to believe that this is just a really bad stroke of luck and he's going to knock himself, you know, kind of back to reality. Another thing to consider here, Devers was one for 12 on the series and hit a home run today and it was kind of a key home run because that one tied the game. But it was his only hit throughout the series. He's been scuffling. JD's been scuffling. I'm starting to wonder if this was an Alex Cora thing. And I'm and I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, there was anything shady going on, but Alex Cora, you know, by his own admission and by other accounts, is an elite, you know, sign stealer guy. You know, he can especially when it comes to tipping pitches. So I'm just wondering if maybe there was something there. Maybe Cora did give these guys an edge just by observing the pitcher and having a good idea as to what was coming. And so, you know, it's just one of the things to consider. It's hard to pinpoint it at this point because, you know, there, there's a lot of differences between, you know, 2020 and then the last couple of years. Wouldn't that yeah. be something? Yeah, I mean that that's definitely a possibility that maybe there was a little bit of an extra core factor that uh we didn't realize was so strong with those guys. Yeah, and and you know pitch tipping and you know deciphering that from the dugout with no electronics, that's perfectly legal. So again, for anyone that might jump on us, I'm not I'm not implicating I mean I'm not saying that that's um you know, shady or anything, but, but anyway, uh, go ahead, Charlie, who is your stud, uh, excuse me, dud for the series. <laughs> I've been way yeah, off tonight. I, this yeah, is the most yeah, scatterbrained I've ever been. Literally. No, you're, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. So I, uh, I actually went with, uh, Tendi. Um, I, I am hopping on the Tendi hate train, uh, because this has been so disgustingly poor. Uh, this guy did not get a hit in the series either. he, for the lack of a better term, did better than J.D. Martinez because he didn't go 0 for 11, but he still went 0 for 7 with four strikeouts. And I kind of want to go over this a little bit. Game 1, 0 for 4, had a walk, struck out three times, batting average came down to .061. The following uh, second game, he went 0 for 1, batting average drops two more uh, thousandths of a point. And then Game 3, 0 for 2 with another strikeout, down to .056. Struck out four times in seven at-bats. 
That brings them down to two for 36 for the season with one single, one double, one run batted in, 17 strikeouts out of 36 at-bats. Bad enough for 47.2% of his plate appearances. He has 10 walks this season. His last hit was July 29th, a double. And since then, he has gone 0 for 17 with eight strikeouts. This guy isn't on anyone's triple A radar. He is so bad right now. I have no words for this. I can't believe I'm watching it. Jason. This kid's a mess right now. Ben Attendee's an absolute mess, and it's it's not a physical thing. It's it's all in his head. I mean, it really is. I don't know what the deal is. I don't. And at this point, like, I don't know what you do with him. I know what Renicky's trying to do. He pitched hint for him twice this series, and I think that was him saying, you know, he's trying to give him a kick in the ass, trying to say, look, your playing time's not guaranteed. I'll pull you out of the lineup. If, you know, if we're in a tight spot because we don't trust you to hit right now. Um, but I don't know if Ben Attendee's going to respond to that. I don't, I, I saw some people suggesting like maybe give him two or three games off in a full schedule. I'd be in favor of that. You know, give him a few games off, let him watch the game from the dugout, see if he picks up anything, let him pick the brain of the hitting coach for a little bit longer. But in a shortened season, that's akin to basically giving a guy a week off you know, just for bad performance. And granted, you know, maybe that's warranted. Maybe that's where we're at. But, you know, Ben Intendi is not one of these guys that you just go, well, he stinks. We're just going to take him out of the lineup now and forget about him. He's 25. Like, he should still be on an upward trend. He should be, you know, approaching his prime at the plate, and it's just gone completely backwards. Um, I, I don't – and, like, the strikeouts look bad, too. It's, it's one thing, like J.D. Martinez, who we just railed on, he'll have a couple of hard-hit balls every now and then. Like today, he had a line out to third base. That, I mean, he crushed the ball. It was just right at Travis Shaw. Ben Intendi's not even making solid contact. He's just whiffing. And the strikeouts look awful. He's striking out against bad relief pitchers who are throwing these, you know, just these hanging breaking balls that he's just not seeing. And he's just completely – he looks like uh, – for fans of the major league movies, he looks like Pedro Serrano trying to hit a curveball. Like he's just flailing at it. And so I, I don't know what you do with him. His confidence looks shattered mentally. He looks just not there. He looks out of place. Um, this is a real issue because this is a guy that should be part of your future. You know, it's not with guys. Some of these other guys like JD who are struggling, like, okay, whatever they're veterans. They won't be here for long. Who cares? Ben Nintendi should be here for a long time. And it, it just, it looks so bad right now. I have no idea what you do if you're the Red Sox. I really don't. I'm just going to say it. He needs to be optioned and just sent down to Pawtucket. And if it's temporary, fine. If it's for the rest of the season, that's fine too. He is, he's not hitting at the major league level right now. And like Charlie said, .056 batting average. I just can't imagine he's going to find it, you know, within the snap of a finger. And you got a guy named Kevin Pillar who didn't even get a single start in this Toronto series. Didn't start a single game. He came off the bench. He was, uh, you know, he had four at-bats off the bench. Didn't 
you know, have a hit, unfortunately, but but still hitting 310, probably going to give you pretty decent production, probably even an upgrade defensively even. You know, they both cover a lot of ground, but, you know, Pilar has a better arm, and um, I just think, I just don't see why Benintendi has to be on the roster at this point. And I know it would probably shatter him even more to send him down, but it's costing us games. And he's he's getting worse. His plate discipline is getting worse because his strikeout rate is rising. There were a few other series. He had like five walks in one series and was at least getting on base, but he's not really doing that anymore. And... I'd send him down. I really would. And we don't have a ton of depth. I think Zue Lin can play the outfield. You know, you could probably stick him in left and, and you know, if someone needs a night off. But, I, you know, it, it's, it's only going to hurt us to keep Benintendi in the lineup. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, at this point, like I said, it, it, if that's what it takes – to get him right again it's just you just gotta send him down and you know he's gotta learn the hard way then fine because you're right it's he's a detriment to your lineup no matter what part of the lineup he's in whether you move him out of leadoff or whatever he's just he's not getting anything done and you really would get more production out of a guy like Zhu Wei Lin or or especially Kevin Pillar right now um I just I, I wouldn't begrudge the Red Sox at all for doing that yeah, you get more you get more production out of literally anybody at this point. That through the numbers, Benintendi versus Toronto is 0 for seven with a walk against Tampa Bay. 0 for five pair of strikeouts. Uh, Yankees 0 for three pair of walks, pair of strikeouts. The Mets was the only se- uh, season series where he actually got a hit, and he had both there. He went two for eleven with a single, a double. Still did not score a run. Got five walks in that series struck out three times, and then we all remember what we saw in Baltimore. He went 0 for 10, couldn't do anything, got an RBI in the first game of the season, like J.D. Martinez, and struck out five times. Like, he just, I just don't know. Like, it, I just, it's it's bizarre to see. This is like a really bad video game. Like, you, it's almost like you have to try to be this bad. And I like Tendi. This is tough. I'm a big I've been bad. saying this for a while. Yeah, I I love the kid and I I I want him to rebound and and figure it out, but it's just he's not going to do it in, in a matter of a couple of games and then go on a tear. I just think he's he's that far gone. And the single that he hit was actually a bunt in the Met series, so uh, you know, he just kind of Yeah, I I I didn't want to admit that, but yes, yeah, accurate, he, sir. He caught them off guard with it and you know, beat beat the throw to first, but yeah. So you know, I, I think the best alignment in the outfield is probably Verdugo in left field, and then Bradley in center, and then Pilar in uh, right field. And Andrew in, in the in the DMs, you know, made a good point that when Pilar was brought into the game and made that running catch where he slammed into the uh, wall right behind the foul pole. Verdugo probably doesn't come up with that, you know. So for that, I would probably, you know, because 
you know, we have the luxury of, of Pilar. I would put him in right and then Verdugo in left. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I've got some theories we're going to mention. It. We're almost at an hour and we haven't even got through studs and duds. So I'm going to go real quick with my dud. Um, Jackie Bradley was, uh, let's see, one for nine on the series. Didn't, uh, you know, didn't drive anyone in. Didn't homer. Um, he's two for 27, I think, two for 28, somewhere in that range. And just his normal streaky self, and he's in a cold streak, and I just can't wait for him to not be on this team. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Bloom to just value the defense so much that we get him on a one-year deal or whatever. But yeah, any thoughts on Bradley? Uh, my my only thought is that he better be uh, sending a big old thank you card to Andrew Benintendi for having such a <laughs> suck bag season so far. Because if it weren't for Benintendi, we'd be saying get Bradley out of the lineup, get him out of the outfield. But I think now because Benintendi's so bad, we're almost saying okay, you're kind of stuck with Bradley. So all right, fine, he he can stay in. But yeah, he's he's still Jackie Bradley. He's he's going to go on streaks. He's going to hit below 200. He's going to strike out a lot. But occasionally he'll make a nice catch or a nice throw. It's just we've been here. We we know what Jackie Bradley is. I'm with you, Terry. I can't wait for Jackie Bradley to no longer be on this team. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of the hype around him. We've been waiting for Jackie Bradley for what five six years now to finally turn into what everyone you know thought he was going to be, and he's just not. This is who he is. So yeah, one for nine for the series. That's that's what you get out of Jackie Bradley. Bradley's never been a power hitter. He's never been anyone crazy, but similar to um, a lot of the players during this year that really had like a really great first game of the season, Jackie Bradley Jr. started the season off with three multi-hit games. He went seven for 11 against Baltimore uh, and did phenomenally well um, to the point where we're sitting here asking ourselves like, where's Jackie Bradley? Who's the guy wearing Jackie's jersey? Like this just doesn't make any sense. But since that seven for 11, He's three for 33 with one run batted in and no runs scored. No extra base hits. Obviously, no home runs. A couple of walks. He's just not getting on base. What is the hitting coach doing with this team? Because you have Bradley, who statistically speaking isn't really like a crazy hitter, but he's still hitting well below where he normally would. Benintendi's, like, not even on the damn planet. Like, he's not even close. But even Martinez. Like, you have three guys this year that really haven't done boo. Like, Mitch Moreland has done more offensive damage than all three of them combined just this past week. That's sad. That is so sad that he's got more RBIs than those three combined on the season. It's unacceptable, completely unacceptable. Tim Hires said today that you know he's he's really frustrated with his own inability to to get these guys out of their slumps. But you know he came from Arizona, you know did some good work out there, and and um, you know has been the Red Sox as bad as they were last year as far as pitching went. We we did lead the league in. And some key offensive categories, RBIs, 
um, you know, runs scored, stuff like that. And, you know, so this is the first bad year with him as the hitting coach. But here's the crazy thing. I've already said Devers is 1 for 12. We know J.D. is 0 for 11. Vasquez, one of our bigger productive guys, was 1 for 11. So I'm terrible with math here. So that's that's 2 for 34 on the whole series between Devers, Martinez, and Vasquez. 2 for 34. And then you got Ben Attendi, you know, 0 for 7, like you said. Uh, Bradley 1 for 9, Peraza 2 for 7, Pilar 0 for 4, Lynn 0 for 2. How the hell did we win this series? <laughs> like, <laughs> our pitching was so stout, and that's the only reason we won it. It's just crazy how bad we were. I mean, Mitch put us on his back today, and, and Verdugo did it in game one. So that's how you win two out of three, I guess. But just, uh, just an insane series and from a pitching standpoint i mean godly was okay you know for four innings you know didn't get killed and weber kind of got lucky you know three innings five hits two walks i mean we could have we could have got buried if they were a little bit better at the plate but um but really the the pitching was pretty stout this series i want to i want to mention something real quick I was really pissed off in game two when Ryan Brazier came into the, I think it was the eighth inning with the bases loaded. There were two outs. Hembry just wasn't sharp. Couldn't, couldn't get out of the inning himself. And I'm thinking, well, okay, Walden is in the pen. You got Jeffrey Springs in the pen. Maybe they're not sexy options, but Brazier has just been absolutely terrible all year long. He gave up a run the night before in game one and then got bailed out by a double play, which could have been a terrible inning had that not happened, and has been terrible all season long for the most part. And even in 2018, when he was pretty good in in August and September, he still wasn't great coming into the game with runners on he all the inherited runners he had even that season would end up scoring like there's no reason to bring ryan brazier in with the bases loaded he's not the guy that's gonna that's gonna get out of that for the most part and for some reason he did he was in there against teoscar hernandez and you know got him to swing and miss uh, on a couple of uh you know strikes and and ended the inning and i just i'm i'm thinking what what is the red sox doing and then earlier in the week benintendi came in bases loaded bottom of the ninth we needed a hit i think we were down by three runs or maybe it was four runs even so it, it was still going to take a lot to win the game but you had jd martinez on the bench and according to Mazarazzi, maybe Maybe J.D. didn't want to come in. And uh, Renicky had some weird comments after the game where he was kind of dancing around whether J.D. should have came in the game or not and said, well, you know, we weren't really for it in this case. And I'm just like, I don't know if the Red Sox are tanking. That's what I'm getting at. What is? Are these high and bloom moves coming from the, the front office to say, 
you know, put Brazier in in this spot and and put Ben Intendi in on that spot, and let's tank and let's get a let's get a really high draft pick, probably a top three at, at the worst, and and make some moves at the deadline with guys like Avaldi and JD if he gets it together, and and you know anyone else who might bring value, because I mean from here out that's what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at moves that make no sense whatsoever that are essentially sabotaging our chance to win. I just yeah, it's it it's definitely good. you definitely have to ask the question like who's really in charge of the lineup here? Is it Renicky? Is it Kyle Bloom? Because it feels like Bloom's got his hands in this way more than he probably should. Or way more than like a manager like Renicky would prefer. Um, the Brazier thing made no sense to me. That like I, I I couldn't believe it. I tweeted about it when when I saw that he was coming in. You know, bases loaded, and it's like it, that's the guy you choose. I mean, I understand. So I guess like they didn't want to go to Workman because he had pitched the night before, and I guess Workman's one of these guys that they they don't want him going back to back days just yet. But you know, why not bring in uh, you know why not bring in Bryce? Why not bring in Colton Brewer? Like these guys have at least been a little bit better so far this year. Brazier's been an abject disaster. And yeah, he was, he was very lucky that he was going up against Teoscar Hernandez, who was a strikeout machine. Cause if that was a better hitter in the Toronto lineup, he might've blown that game wide open. Um, and the Benny Tenney one made no sense either. Um, I don't know what's going on there with the JD Martinez thing, whether or not, it's true that he bagged out of that that chance to to pinch it, or if there was something physical going on, I don't know. But yeah, just a lot of weird decision making coming from the manager and the and the general manager, and I don't know if there's like a tug of war going on between those two, or if it's just even they don't know what the hell you know to make to make this team work and and you know what their best options are. I, I'm not sure what it is. I looked at Renicky's body language because I was intently focused on him uh, right before he left the dugout because he and um, I don't know if it was Phil Nevin uh, or, or who's the pitching coach? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, that's uh, Bush, Dave Bush. Dave Bush. It, yeah, yeah, so he was he – was, you, you saw him looking at a chart and he there was just this intense – look of hesitation on him like am I really going to do this am I really going to Brazier right now and (laughs) and he did and then he did so I just there's no way Alex Cora goes to Brazier in that spot there's no way there's no way Francona goes to Ryan Brazier in that spot and I don't. I think John Farrell's the dumbest manager to ever live. So I, I don't. Maybe he would. I don't know. I don't think Bobby Valentine's dumb enough to go to Brazier in that spot. Brazier never gets out of that jam, ever. Never ever gets out of that jam. And I just, I'm like, we're gonna blow the game. And he got out of it, but and then we lost it after that with Walden. But 
just anybody, literally anybody was was better in that spot. So, and if this team does fall out of it, you're you're going to be wondering how many people are going to be paying attention, especially with the other sports, you know, getting into their postseasons and we're going to be sitting here crying foul like why did that just happen? And you know, it could fall on deaf ears, but Heim Bloom needs to know that, you know, we're a pretty rowdy fan base and you know, we're not going to we're not going to be quiet, you know, when when all this goes on. So hopefully hopefully we don't see anything because I really think I, I haven't said this on the podcast yet, but you got Baltimore, you got Toronto. I think we can finish ahead of them. And then you got the Rays who are finally starting to play better. I think they might be five hundred now or maybe they're a game under. But we can compete for second place in this division, I feel like. I mean the the pitching was super stout throughout this whole series. And like I said, Walden ended up being the guy to cough up game two, which, you know, prevented the sweep from happening. But I'm really intrigued at how we're going to perform outside of a Yankees series. You know, I, I think we can win games, especially if these guys can start to hit. So, I don't know. Charlie, do you got any thoughts? I mean – as far as like, since you just you just brought this up this weekend, I, I don't think we win a game if it's not for uh, Verdugo and Mitch Moreland. I really don't. I don't think that we had it. Uh, Nate Evaldi, if he wasn't pitching in this series, I don't think he keeps uh, Toronto to three runs um, because that that home run in the bottom of the ninth inning was so clutch, and what Verdugo was able to do in Game One, along with what Moreland did in Game One as well, like we won based on two people. You got nine people in the lineup. You got two people doing all the work. That's that's just not gonna that's not gonna get it done. And um, Toronto is by no stretch of the imagination an elite team. I don't think we're gonna be challenging anyone for second place. And it wouldn't surprise me if you saw the rest of this team kind of start to slowly falter. Um, we split against Tampa. We're facing Tampa for four. And we do not have Eovaldi for this one. I think we win one out of four here. And then you have to face the Yankees again in New York. And Eovaldi is going against their elite pitcher, Cole. So, <laughs> I mean, these next eight games are going to be really brutal. It's, it's, it's going uh, it's, it's to be really tough, really hard. I mean, this, the schedule gets easier after this week. I think that's a four-game set, so after next Monday, it gets a little easier, and we'll only have one more series against New York, I think one more against Tampa, and, you know, we're going to have a lot of interleague play with some pretty decent NL East teams, including the Marlins. I mean, you got to take what they're doing at face value, at least for now, but um, I don't know. I just... I, I just... I'm not... I like what I'm seeing out of the bullpen because that was our weakness last year. And so we'll, we'll see. But if, if we're surprisingly competitive this week, I, I just think that sets up well after, you know, after next Monday. But anyway, so 
another kind of, I'm not going to say it's necessarily a controversy, but uh, some viral video of Garrett Cole on the mound, you know, messing with his ball cap. And there was, there was a point in that video where he goes to take his fingers off of it, but they're stuck to the cap and his fingers essentially have to pop off of it. And, and you can see kind of traces of some type of foreign substance there, probably pine tar, but what are you guys' thoughts on this? Should, should teams be taking a much closer look at the Yankees at this point? I mean, it, it's, it's not as bad as uh, Michael Pineda when he was uh, when he had the pine tar on the neck, the umpire took like a he like touched his neck and then whiffed it and then just kind of pointed, "Yep, you're you're gone." Um, but uh, I mean, there were God, it, it's a very bad look. Um, and if if somebody like Garrett Cole needs to resort to something like that, I mean, what is baseball coming to? I mean. You're Garrett Cole, dude. You're getting a ridiculous amount of money. You already got paid. You don't need to do this. So so why? I mean, it's clear there was something sticky on it because the hat wouldn't have made that little, like, almost like the pop, you know? So it's um, it, it'll be disappointing if, if that ends up being the, uh, the situation because I remember that was relatively early uh, in the season. He, he had that on his neck and... Uh, or with Panita, Panita rather, when he had his incident, it's just kind of not a good look when you have a pitcher who's only played a couple games and already you're you're starting to get into the funny business. You don't need to worry about that. You you pit you pitch for the best team in, or arguably the best team in the American League. You don't need to you don't need to take extra little gimmies. I'm almost surprised in a way that no teams have looked further into the Yankees or have tried to you know, keep an extra eye on them because the Yankees aren't exactly like they, they didn't get off scot-free with the whole Astros cheating scandal and the Red Sox getting caught up in it too. Like, the, you know, there's a lot of dirt on the Yankees that's still out there that I don't even think we know all of it yet uh, fully. And obviously Yankee fans would tell you, you know, nothing to see here because that's, that's typically the attitude New York uh, takes whenever they get caught cheating. But yeah, they're, they're not and clear of that so it wouldn't surprise me if like this is just one of those small minor things that maybe whether it's Garrett Cole brought it over from the Astros or Beltran did or whatever um, now I don't know whether or not that was all pine tar or if that was like a mixture of pine tar and some other stuff um, if it was pine tar like I know a lot of pitchers do use it that looks like way too much that you know at the very least you could say Okay, maybe it's just pine tar, but he's probably helping himself to way much, way more than uh, than a pitcher should be. Because I mean, that was ridiculous. I mean, for his fingers to get stuck to his cap like that, um, that's pretty insane. So it would not surprise me if his next start, whoever he goes up against, that manager is taking an extra close look at his cap and you know asks the umpires to make sure everything's on the up and up there because. Yeah, that that seems that almost like that was like cartoonish. The amount of pine tar or whatever that was that was on his hat that was ridiculous. Well, his next start will yeah. be against the Red Sox uh, in Game One. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Charlie. I'll, I'll say, yeah, I was gonna say this much. I mean, if it's as blatantly obvious 
as Panita's situation where he was like glowing like a freaking angel on the mound and you struggled in one inning and then all of a sudden now you're mowing him down like John Farrell was completely in the right to do what he had to do to say hey, can you just to go take a look at little Mike right there just just make sure he's not like glowing you know you know maybe he just has you know he, he does have a natural glow but some, something's just just doesn't feel right you know and um <clears throat> if he, Garrett Cole did a good job selling it like his hat popped and then he was fixing his hair and he had to adjust his cap and like all that stuff but um unless it's unless your team is getting like really screwed I I, I don't think that a manager is going to do that unless they have like definitive proof the only reason why they didn't do anything with this one is honest to god I, I don't know I mean he was doing very well he struck out 10 guys in that game I'm pretty sure Right, the most recent start, he struck out ten guys in four and two thirds. Yeah, yeah, that was in the first he did really, of the doubleheader. Yeah, yeah, he did really, really well. So, um, would it surprise me? Maybe a little bit, Jason, because I know you you mentioned that earlier. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it really depends on the situation and the flow of the game before they um, they elect to do anything like like having them go ask, oh, hey, can you go take a look at this? Take a look at this guy because something just doesn't feel right. They were facing, you know, it, it was uh, it was the, the first game of that doubleheader, uh, and they weren't doing anything. I mean, they were they were getting crushed. It was already, what, 5-0 before they pulled him out of the game, and then all of a sudden, then on came the hits, and then they pulled him. But he'd already, he'd also thrown like 100 and, almost 110 pitches in the game. He'd thrown so many pitches. So he was done. And for all that extra pine tar, if it was pine tar that he had, uh, it wasn't helping him throw only strikes because he threw like 45 balls and 70 strikes. So it, it wasn't, you know, 45, 65, something like that. Like he wasn't doing great. So unless you're like pitching lights out, I don't think another manager is going to say something, to be quite honest. Well, here, here's the thing. Sure. Some some pitch not pitchers some hitters will say well you know it's actually kind of good that the the pitcher uses a little bit of pine tar you know because i don't want i don't want 98 to 100 coming at me you know with no control whatsoever so i guess where's the threshold here you know is he using it for a little bit of control or is he using it for a serious edge to dominate his opponents because if it's the latter teams should have a problem with that. I don't think it's a gain in edge. I think he's proven himself the past couple of years as one of the best pitchers in baseball. I, I don't think he needs an edge. I think it's to get like a little bit of a grip. It just was an egregious amount. I really want to believe that. Now, if, if he had been statistically wild and he was like 37 years old, then it becomes a question of trying to get the edge because you just don't have it anymore. I don't think that's the situation with Cole. He's, I mean, name five pitchers that are better than Garrett Cole. We'll all sit waiting for a long time. But he didn't, he was a top of the rotation guy before 2018. And then he became elite after that. One of, one of the very best and, and now the very best in the sport in a very short amount of time and and Jason kind of alluded to is it necessarily just pine tar or could it be a mixture of stuff like you know what Trevor Bauer 
accused the Astros of using, which was something mixed with Coca-Cola to drastically increase the spin rate of the baseball. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, he, he's, he came from Houston and they knew something their their pitching program is revolutionary. I mean, it turned the career of Charlie Morton around. I hadn't even heard of Charlie Morton before that postseason, And, you know, I mean, Zach Grinke was pretty good down the stretch. He's, he's been pretty good anyway. And, you know, Justin Verlander has been dominant, won a Cy Young last year with Houston. So I just, I don't know. I just, the, the other thing too in the back of my mind is the sealed letter that uh, a court judge uh, ordered to be unsealed in an unrelated matter. That was with the DraftKings lawsuit or whatever. But a Yankees lawyer admitted in open court that if the contents of this letter are unsealed, it would cause serious reputational injury to the Yankees organization. And that was supposed to be, they were going to rule on whether that would be released uh, to the public at some point this month. And we're already almost halfway through August. So, um, you know, this could potentially be a, a very bad month for the Yankees on a number of issues here. Yeah, that's why I think it's absolutely fair that other teams should ask the question and should be wondering, like, okay, maybe it is just Pintar, maybe he is just using it to get an extra grip on his fastball, or maybe he's using some sort of, you know, foreign mixture that's helping him get a little more bite on that slider. That's a totally different scenario, right? A little extra grip on the fastball, fine. I don't think many hitters are going to care too much about that, but... If he's getting extra bite on his breaking ball because of whatever that is on his cap, that's a problem. So, yeah, and it, like I said, the Yankees still have a lot of dirt on them that hopefully we'll find out about soon. Hopefully it, it gets released, and I think it's totally fair if other teams see that video and they go, okay, we got to start questioning these guys a lot more because they might still be up to something. And there's that other video of the... Yankees cameraman in the outfield with his phone in his hand, possibly texting the dugout. We haven't gotten any conclusive, um, you know, information on what exactly he was doing. But um, yeah, I, I it, it'll be interesting, and I, I don't think I don't think anyone's gonna uh, cry about you know, the Yankees getting caught up in a scandal. You know the Dodgers are going to be in favor of them getting hammered, and uh, I'm not sure about the Astros because they're, you know, they, they've got their own daily drama that they have to deal with, and their team's, like, falling apart. So I'm not sure they have a vested interest in, in you know, going after the Yankees in this regard. But, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Ron Renneke, you know, makes the umpires go out and, do an inspection on on Garrett Cole. So we'll see. All all eyes are going to be on him. I guarantee you. There's going to be there's going to be videos popping up on Twitter on Friday. <laughs> and you know some Red Sox fans are going to be doing it. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, I sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know who who doesn't love drama during the baseball season? <laughs> but anyway, so. Um, we got four games against Tampa 
And we know Wednesday's up in the air. We know Perez is pitching on Tuesday. So who's pitching tomorrow? Yeah, they might be going with the opener tomorrow. Um, I mean, I, unless, you know, unless it's going to be, uh, what's his name? They just called up Dylan Covey. Unless he gets the nod now that he took Weber's spot. Um, but my guess, if it's not him, it's going to be Covey. Yeah, we're TVD and we're facing Ryan Yarbrough again, who we did actually hit pretty well. Um, that was one of our better games in that series. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. I know they like to use Bryce in that role, but he did get four outs for the Red Sox today. So, um, yeah, so we'll just have to see. Martin Perez uh, will face TBD from them on Tuesday. That's the only starter they haven't named yet for any of their four games. But I guess the thing I'm going to be looking for with Perez here is can he maintain what he, he's been doing in, in his last couple of starts, especially since the Rays have had a recent look at him. I mean, at this point, he has to. It, you know, you, you can't just rely on Nathan Ovaldi being the only guy giving you reliable starts um, because Godley's a complete question mark, and then the other spots in the rotations uh, are complete question marks. Perez at least has to be able to give you five, six innings, you know, not let the game completely get away from him. He's going to give up a couple of runs. He's going to walk some guys. It's not going to be pretty. But if he can at least keep you in it, then that's that's good enough right now. Charlie? Same. Uh, you, you need to stay competitive. You need to have some people be able to handle their role without getting blown out. And uh, you're going to need to have somebody other than Nate Evaldi. It can't just be always him doing the, his job. It's got to be another guy. Um, it, it doesn't matter which person at this point. As long as you have two guys consistently in each series getting five to six innings of work down uh that's what we need moving forward otherwise it will not work and we will have a very ugly season in game uh see game three we're waiting on who that starter will be it'll be a call up from Pawtucket the beat writers seem to think it's going to be Brian Johnson because Based on their recent activity and their side sessions and whatever, Johnson lines up the best, you know, for Wednesday. So I'm kind of hoping it's not him. Um, Kyle Hart pitched, I think, five and a third scoreless in a simulated game on, uh, let's see, I think that was on Friday, Friday or Saturday. Um, so I, I just feel like he's kind of an intriguing option for lack of a better term. <laughs> and there was one other option, maybe Tanner Houck, but apparently they don't like how he sets up against lefties currently. So pr probably not him, but I mean, what are you guys hoping for, for game for the Wednesday start? I wouldn't mind seeing Kyle Hart. I, I think I would much rather see him. Uh, than Brian Johnson, because again, I, I put Brian Johnson in the category of like 
we know what he is and and i just no thanks um i i don't i don't need to see more of brian johnson i know that at times he can give you decent starts but kyle hart is more of a you know could potentially be part of your future sort of option um and i know that he he had some good moments you know in the limited spring leading up to this so i would rather see kyle hart get that start charlie I don't want to see Brian Johnson at all. Brian Johnson right now would be like me seeing Andrew Benintendi. It'd be detrimental to my health. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all in agreement so there. I, I don't know why Chris Mazza isn't being brought up. I mean, he looked, he pitched three and two thirds, didn't give up a run, but any chatter on him's been pretty quiet lately. So, not sure what's going on there. Um, and then game, let's see, game, the final game of the series on Thursday is against Blake Snell, who only pitched three innings in his last appearance, but didn't give up a run. So he might be on the up and up, you know, compared to where he was in 2018 when he won a Cy Young. So we have, a you know, a TBD on that day as well. So that could be a potential opener so, so wait, is it is it definitely because mlb has snell on wednesday glasno oh, on thursday crap yeah i've i screwed it up no you're absolutely right so oh, okay so snell would get the the potential brian johnson start and then we, we are tbd on thursday as well uh up against glass now who's been kind of shaky this year so I guess the Wednesday starts the the worst one for us, you know, based on who they're pitching. We don't have to face Morton, who looked pretty good against the Yankees today uh, after the first couple innings. Uh, So, I don't know. I mean, I'd be thrilled with a split here. Oh, I would absolutely take a split because my biggest fear is that, like, Snell and Glasnow are going to start to figure it out. And they're going to do it against our lineup and our lineup struggling enough as it is. And the last thing we need is for, you know, Glasnow to find what he was last year before he got hurt and for Snell to do the same. And, you know, those those low batting averages will just get even lower for us. So uh, and by the way, against Snell, you probably won't have Mitch Moreland in the lineup because he'll get benched against the lefty. So that's a big chunk of your offense these days. Uh, So. It's I don't know I'll, I would be thrilled with a split but I I smell a uh, I, I smell a one and three coming in this series. Yep, that's that's what I'm predicting. I think two two wins is a pipe dream because if uh, I mean Glasnow came into the season as one of the one of the better pitchers in the American League, and if he figured everything out, I mean we never knew what was going to happen with Shane Bieber. We didn't know that he was going to do what he did. Uh, we didn't know that Dan Plesak was going to be this good. We didn't know that you know a, a lot of pitchers this year were going to do as well as they did. But um, there was a lot of talk about how Glasnow could potentially be the best pitcher in the American League. If he and Snell are locked on one and two, like appearance-wise, every appearance, or nine times out of ten, um, you'd be lucky to get that five or six out of times out of just Evaldi alone. You're probably like three to four on everybody else in the rotation. I, I think it's going to be one and three. I don't think we'll get swept. I think we'll, we'll manage to get one, and I'll be happy with that because the following series, I'll be happy with a one and three against New York as well. 
if we are going to split the the first two games are the best options you know tomorrow against uh Yarbrough and then with Perez against a an opener probably on Tuesday but we'll see right. ho- ho- hopefully hopefully they find it and uh you know kind of tread water here uh, until we can get through the Yankees series but we will have Perez and Devoldi in that uh, Yankee series so I don't know if that's gonna, you know, bode well or not, but but we'll see. And the Yankees are getting, you know, they've got Stanton on the DL, and Paxton finally did have a decent start today, but their pitching outside of Garrett Cole has been pretty suspect. So, um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, we can carry some momentum into the series, I guess. But the pitching is gonna you know, be better for us this time around, you know, versus the first series against New York for sure. Any right. uh, final thoughts before we wrap? Um, oh, Jason, why don't you go first? I need a minute to think. <laughs> no, I just, uh, you mentioned the New York's pitching is not, not doing great. And I saw someone tweet out that they're, they're only six and five when Garrett Cole is not starting, um, which is, we over here in Boston would love to take a six and five record, you know, when when Evaldi's not pitching. Um, <laughs> but for a Yankees team that has like World Series favorites written all over them, that's not a good sign. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I I'm keeping a close eye on the Yankees because I just feel like a choke job is coming for that team this year. I feel like a massive choke job is coming. Um, and yeah, that starting rotation does not look great outside of Cole. So. We'll see how they do going forward. I'm sure there's plenty of pine tar to pass around if they need to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, check Garrett Cole's locker, I guess. All right, guys, uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap on that, and uh, hopefully the Sox surprise us this week offensively. And and uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Take care. Sounds good. Take care, guys. See you guys. Episode 205 in the books. Red Sox finally win a series against, well, finally win a series. It happened to be against Toronto. So uh, take care, and uh, we'll be back with you Thursday night.